Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We need a new life because the Bible says that our problems are rooted in the fact that we are dead in our sins. We're disconnected from God who made us and we're under the power of sin which is stronger than we are. And it inclines us toward destructive living. I need to be set free from that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, in a message titled, The Cross and the Power of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Our series, as you know, our bigger theme as we make our way through 1 Corinthians is everyday discipleship. And so we're wanting to take everything that we're learning and we want to see how that applies to us in our our daily lives, how we grow more and more to be the people that the Lord wants us to be. So today we're going to be focusing in on Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Actually, Paul is, in these five verses that we're going to look at, he is really concluding the argument that began in chapter 1, verse 17. In chapter 1, verse 17, he said, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with eloquence, not with human wisdom, but he sent me to preach the gospel with with the power of God. And so that the cross is not emptied of that power. So that's where Paul started. And now this whole section that ends in chapter 5, verse 2, has been all about this, this contrast between God's power, God's wisdom versus man's power and man's wisdom. So let me read verses 1 through 5 again real quickly and... We'll take it from there. So chapter two, verses one through five, Paul says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And so here, with this paragraph, Paul, as I said, he's, he's concluding the argument that began. And in that argument, both the message of the cross and the Corinthian church's very existence it stands in contradiction to the present infatuation that the Corinthians had with worldly power and wisdom. So what Paul is doing now, for one reason or another, the Corinthians have now been very much drawn to ideas of, of power and wisdom that, that were not rooted in the gospel, but were rooted in the culture that they 
came out of. And, and so now they're enamored with that. That's where they're wanting to identify. They're wanting to feel like they're in that somebody category. And so as we've seen, as a result of this, they're creating these divisions that are centered around people's personality, people's giftings, and things like that. I'm of Paul, one said. I'm of Apollos, another said. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Peter, someone else said. And Paul's point is that not only is this the way the world functions, but this is actually the completely antithetical to the message of the gospel, and it's really antithetical to what God has done in your own lives. So he reminds them that the message of the cross is scandalous to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. And he reminds them that they themselves, they themselves, the ones God had chosen for salvation, were not for the most part from that somebody category, wise by human standards, influential, of noble birth, they were just everyday, ordinary people. They were the commoners. They they were the ones that others, those who were wise and powerful and affluent in the culture, these are the ones that they would look down on. And so what the Corinthians have forgotten is that the kingdom of Christ that they have become a part of is is not like the world. It's really an upside-down kingdom. Upside-down in the sense that it's, it's just completely different than the way everything else is. The reality is that the kingdom of Christ is the right-side-up kingdom because this is how things are supposed to be, but the whole world is flipped on its head because of sin, and the church is, is a minority, so... You know, the church is the one that seems like, well, this this is odd. You know, this shouldn't be this way. But the fact of the matter is the church is the way it's supposed to be, at least when we are living out the faith as we are supposed to. But point is, it's upside down in people's thinking. Like Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, be the servant of all. Well, that's that's not the the way the world thinks, right? World thinks if you want to be great, get power over people. Make them your servants. That's how the world considers uh, uh, somebody who's great. So the Corinthians, for whatever reason, they're wanting to be part of all of that again. They want the recognition and approval of the world. So here in these verses, Paul lays out further the ethos of the kingdom of Christ the kingdom of Christ, the ethos, the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in, the, you know, the atmosphere that is to permeate the kingdom of Christ is that human wisdom and human strength are of little consequence in the kingdom of Christ. God's wisdom and power are what is essential. So that's the point that Paul's making as he wraps up this argument in these verses here. Now, just a quick word. The important thing when we're studying the Bible is to understand, especially in the New Testament letters, that there are propositions, that there are arguments, that there are positions that are being set forth. And 
the way to understand what the scripture is saying is to follow those out to their conclusion. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because although we appreciate the fact that our Bible is divided into chapters and verses, we have to realize that sometimes the chapter ends, but the thought keeps going on. But we get conditioned in our heads to thinking that the end of the chapter is the end of the thought. But that's not necessarily the way it is. Sometimes the people who put in the chapters and the verses in the 16th century, sometimes they nailed it. Sometimes they got it right. Yeah, this is the perfect break right here. Other times it's like, wait, what? why is it breaking right here? Because the thought is going on. So chapter one, verse 17 begins the thought or begins the argument. Chapter two, verse five ends the argument. So we're coming back around to look at all that Paul has been saying here where he's talking about the message of the cross being foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, where he says, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe, and so forth. So all of this is connected. Now, we want to look at a few things specifically that Paul says here, and our main point today is to again, just tie together all that he's been saying. And what his real objective here is to contrast the power of God with human power and what people think about human power and to show that the power of God is what matters and the power of God is displayed and connected to and understood through the cross. So, but let's look at a few things Paul says, and I'm going to put this in question form. So what does it mean when Paul says his preaching was not with eloquence or wise and persuasive words? That's what he says here, right? He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. And then He says that he was uh, with them in weakness, in great fear and trembling. And then he says that his preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. So what is he talking about? Does Paul mean that all true preaching or preachers of the gospel must be inarticulate and lacking in eloquence and persuasion? Is Paul against that? Now, let me remind you that the immediate context for Paul is that there are people that those in the church are being impressed by and trying to imitate who, in the culture, this is what they do. They are orators. They are celebrities because they're amazing with words. They're amazing speakers. We don't have like a parallel to it so much in our culture today, but in those days, there were these groups of of people. They were, on the one hand, they were called sophists, some of them, because their emphasis was more on the philosophy. But then the rhetoricians, although they had a philosophical emphasis, they were the ones who were the, the wordsmiths. They were the ones who could say it in amazing ways. And their emphasis was on not what was said as much as how it was said. 
So they were not so much into the content as they were into the form. And so when Paul talks about this this eloquent speech and, and this persuasion, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about what they were doing at the time. He's not talking about somebody who is, is a good communicator. He's talking about what's being communicated and what the motive is for the communication. So what Paul is condemning is preaching that is motivated by embarrassment of or contempt for the cross or the desire to promote and glorify oneself, which was the case with the rhetoricians at the time. Paul is referring to those who love the sound of their own voice and the thoughts of their own minds more than the message of the gospel. That was the problem. In other words, these were people who were embarrassed about and ashamed of the cross So they preached to Jesus who, although they would never necessarily have denied that he was crucified, they just kind of, let's just not talk about that. They just conveniently skipped over that part. But what Paul is saying is that in doing so, they've missed the gospel itself. And in doing so, they have emptied themselves of or and their message has been emptied of the power of God because the power of God is connected to the cross but remember in that time the cross was completely scandalous it was offensive it was like I pointed out before we think of a cross today and there's something sentimental about it there's something beautiful we use it as jewelry you know we put it as emblems on our churches or wherever in those days Nobody thought of the cross like that because the cross, as far as they knew, they were places of execution. They were places that the average person never wanted to even view a crucifixion. So to insist that, that the Messiah, that the Savior of the world is somebody who was on the cross, this is going to create a problem. So these people are going to avoid it. Gordon Fee, a commentator that I'm reading as I'm studying through 1 Corinthians, he said this. He says, what Paul is rejecting is not preaching, not even persuasive preaching. Rather, it is the real danger in all preaching, self-reliance. The danger lies in letting the form and content get in the way of what should be the single concern. The gospel proclaimed through human weakness, but accompanied by the powerful work of the Spirit so that lives are changed through a divine human encounter. So that, that's the issue here. Now, like I said, there isn't an exact parallel today. I'm, just, I'm thinking in, in the realm of the church. You know, How do we take what Paul is saying to the Corinthians then? Where do we see this happening in the realm of the church where we might say like, oh, wow, okay, that, we need to avoid that. Well, where we're going to see it in the church today is, again, it's going to be where a message is preached and maybe there's a strong personality, maybe there's a charismatic personality, maybe there's a a person who is just a wizard with words, but the cross is going to be conspicuously absent. We're not going to talk about that. That, That's offensive. The cross still is offensive today as it's ever been. 
Cheryl reminded me of this after first service. She said, remember when we used to get those invites to church back, this is back when we were living down in North San Diego County years ago, but we used to get these invitations to church. You know, some church would come into town, start up new, and then they'd do a mail out and they would invite you to come to their service. And two or three different churches did this and we would get the thing in the post. But they said things like this, you know, come to our relaxed service. It's going to be casual. You're going to feel really comfortable. You won't ever be made to feel guilty. You won't hear anything that's going to be offensive. It's going to be a feel-good message. And we're going to teach you principles on how to succeed in life and how to have a better marriage and how to manage your finances and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's almost like every new church that started, they had the same template. They just got a different color of paper and then they mailed it out to all the churches in the area. But they were, what they were assuring everybody was, hey, come out to our church. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And you're never going to hear anything that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. In other words, we're not going to preach the cross. That's what they were saying indirectly. That's what Paul is talking about. So human wisdom, here's the problem. Human wisdom is incapable of producing what man ultimately needs. What do we need in the end? Do we need to know uh, how to better raise our kids? Well, raising your kids is important. That's a good thing. Do we need to know how to be more successful in life? Well, okay, that's helpful in some ways. Do we need marriage encouragement? Yeah, okay, that's good. But, you know, at the end, that's not the ultimate need. That's not the deepest need. The deepest need is I need to be regenerated because I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And until I get out of there, anything else is just, it's, it's just putting a temporary you know, something that's, that's only at best going to temporarily aid me. Only the Spirit of God can regenerate, and God regenerates through the power of the death and resurrection of Christ. God regenerates through the message of the cross. Human wisdom and persuasion can produce varying degrees of reformation, but people need more than reformation. We need regeneration. You know, people right now are, especially right now, you know, people are looking for answers right now. And there's a whole bunch of people out there offering answers. I read an article that uh, was talking about the insta-evangelist. Now, some of you might be old enough to remember we used to talk about televangelists. And televangelists were people who, they were on television. I don't know that the word evangelist was ever really appropriate because they oftentimes were not preaching the gospel. But you know, an evangelist can be somebody who's just passionate about a message and they're, they're proclaiming the message. So now we have evangelists, which is you find them on Instagram. And they've got sometimes up to a million followers. And they're telling them how to get on in life and how to do better and how to 
get over your anxiety and your depression and things like that. So this is huge. And people are looking for these kinds of answers. But generally what they're going to get is something. If it does anything, it will reform them to some extent. But what's needed is not reformation. What's needed is regeneration. We need a new life. We need a new life because the Bible says that our problems are rooted in the fact that we are dead in our sins. We're disconnected from God who made us and we're under the power of sin, which is stronger than we are. And it inclines us toward destructive living. I need to be set free from that. And it's the gospel through the Holy Spirit that produces this regeneration. So when the cross, here's the point that Paul's making, when the cross is held in contempt or man's glory is the motive behind preaching or even when self-reliance is the underlying factor, the spirit is absent and the cross is emptied of its power. So the people who think like, I'm gonna do everybody a favor by not offending anybody, by not talking about this controversial thing like the cross, and that's how I'm gonna help somebody, they're fooling themselves. But a lot of times that's really not even the motive. The motive is I'm gonna get more people following me, I'm gonna get more people supporting me, I'm gonna get more people giving to me. So I can build myself up on the backs of everybody else. Now, Calvin referred to it. Another quote I read referred to it, and here it is again. When the cross is held in contempt. What does that mean? There are preachers today who hold the cross in contempt, meaning that they're ashamed of it. They're embarrassed by it. How did this ever get into the message? You know, there, there are people today who are part of the evangelical world who are recognized in certain places as evangelical leaders who look at the cross. And when I'm talking about the cross, I'm talking about God sending his son to die for our sins, to die in our place. That's the message of the cross, right? There are preachers that hold that whole idea in contempt. They deny that, that that's really the message. And I can think of one particular British preacher who says that the idea that God sent his son into the world to die for our sin, that is tantamount to cosmic child abuse. That's how he refers to it, cosmic child abuse. So for him, the cross is not part of the message. The message is just God loves you. God loves you. And the cross, all the cross is doing, the cross, on the cross, Jesus wasn't paying for sin. On the cross, Jesus was just showing everybody how much God loved them. So we can see that these things are relevant today. This wasn't just an issue in the first century. Now, a couple of things before we come to our conclusion. What did Paul mean? Because he says here that he resolved to not know anything among them except Christ and him crucified.
For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. The world is constantly challenging the rationality of the Christian faith and the validity of the existence of God. As Christians, we're faced not only with skepticism and doubt, but also with genuine inquiry. The book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little provides clear and understandable answers to why the Christian faith is rational and how the existence of God is valid. He also addresses other questions that both Christians and non-Christians alike puzzle over. Questions such as, is Jesus really God? Is the Bible historically reliable? Are miracles really real? If God does exist, then why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? If you want your questions like these answered, or to be able to answer questions of others, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.